Hey there, and welcome to the Coaching Floors Podcast. This is Dr. Jen, and each week we'll be doing interviews to inform our listeners about techniques to help children with complex communication needs discover their voice with AAC. Stay tuned. If you're a regular listener, you may have remembered hearing from my friend Trisha, pre-K teacher. Well, she messaged me recently saying I needed to interview a friend named Lori. They'd worked together in the past and recently Lori has had some personal experience with AAC and our listeners really needed to hear from her. So, welcome Lori. Thank you. Lori, I've had a chance to read some of your story and it sounds really compelling. Can you maybe share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what happened back in November? Sure. Um, I received my psychology degree from the University of Iowa in 2000, and I got hired as a special ed para in 2004 for a girl that was labeled as Asperger's at the time, and I had no knowledge of autism or Asperger's. And um, I had a daughter in 2005 and went on to adopt two kids that were older, one of which had extensive concerns from the foster care system in 2009. And I was searching for something that, um, I was searching for understanding of the concerns that plagued the one kiddo. And I found an ABA-centered program um, and I received my master's in special ed consulting in 2010. And then I went on to get my master's in clinical counseling in 2018 and did my internship at SASE and Loris. Um, I passed the exam and two weeks later in October, found the perfect career for me as a school-based therapist. And I had the job two weeks to the day and I laid down for a nap because my training got out early and I was really tired. And I woke up to several EMTs in the house. Oh my gosh. And thankfully my daughter called because she thought something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, I was told at the ER that I had a brain tumor and I was transported by ambulance <laughs> that night to UW. And that was October 25th. So we scheduled a functional MRI for two weeks later to determine where my speech center was. And thankfully my doctor did that because I'm the one of a half a percent of the population with my speech center on the dominant side. So the tumor was intertwined. Oh my goodness. And um, I had no weight craniotomy because of that. Um, on number, November 12th, and some poor soul lost their slot, so I slid into that um, because he lost his insurance. So oh. it was a bittersweet situation. And I seized on the OR table four times. I remember one of the seizures distinctly. Um, if you're looking for an adventure, I don't re recommend a, an awake craniotomy. Oh my gosh, <laughs> So I spent Monday through Friday at UW and left in a wheelchair having uh, little speech and all sorts of spinning, double vision, light sensitivity, nausea, and echolalia. And I didn't have any use of my entire left side. 
and I entered Mercy Rehab for a week and continued with outpatient speech and OT after that. And it turned out to be a stage two astrocytoma, brain cancer, and I was diagnosed at 39. So the common, most common question I get is, were there any symptoms? No, but looking back, I told my husband that it seemed like it was new material every day when I was studying for my exam. Mm. So that may have been a hint. Um, we're on a watch and wait protocol currently, and there's gonna be collateral damage, as my radiation oncologist says, because they can't uh, avoid the speech center when they blast the tumor. So mm. I'm putting it off as long as possible. Um, I have every three month MRIs and uh, follow-up appointments, so. Um, I continue to rehab at home. I have been uh, assessed by a speech, uh, a psychologist, and my working memory is not good, so I probably won't return to work anytime soon. And honestly, I feel like a ticking time bomb. So, um, my most common request, question. Common response to questions to the common question of where do you work at? Because people attach so much, um, like, uh, importance to work. Mm -hmm. Is I'm gonna take a gap year, so I'm taking a gap year. Nice. <laughs> oh, that sounds like the perfect thing to say. Mm -hmm. Well, um, frequently. I often get asked at the doctor because they want a work number. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know what to say. And yeah. I thought, you know, I need to come up with something because they don't need to know my situation. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like explaining it all the time. And it just would lead down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's become kind of a common phrase and. Yeah, our language in society. So it's an acceptable and easy way to say, you know, I'm off right now. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. So what has changed for you? You had done all of the studies, you're a mom, you know, and you've got this special interest in special education and, and helping children. But what has changed for you since that happened and maybe what hasn't changed? Mm -hmm. Well, my family support and humor hasn't changed, um, but pretty much everything else has. Um, I'm no longer going a million miles an hour, and um, the support of my family is extensive, and I used to be fiercely independent, mm. so that's been a hard um, topic <laughs> for me and mm -hmm. for everyone else, because, um, you know, I frequently need help. I am not afraid to admit it now, but I was in the past. And I can't execute my humor in the way I used to. I've always had quick wit and, you know, had a really dry sense of humor. And I feel like I talk like a robot. Um, I don't think I do. The speech pathologist didn't have any indications that I was robotic in my speech, but 
I feel like I sound like a robot. Um, and I've always been very comfortable talking on the fly. That's all ended. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, this situation right here. I wouldn't have any qualms about um, being asked questions on the fly. And I would be able to have them answers ready on the spot. Mm -hmm. But I had to write out my thoughts. And I'm stumbling over them. So, you know. Um, there are lost, uh, lost opportunities. And I feel like I can't connect with people as much. And I'm kind of isolated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, brain tumors, cancer, and speech issues will do that to you. And if you find a way around one of those topics, the next one pops up, it seems. And I liken it to medical whack-a-mole. So. You have so much good stuff to share, and I'm, like, wanting to jump in. And then I'm like, no, listen. Just listen. So yep. I'm like, oh, do I go back to something or not? Do you feel like you're being too hard on yourself sometimes? Oh, for sure. Because yeah. I haven't noticed any robotic speech, even without the script. And normally when I interview anyone, I email them this. And a lot of people type out their responses ahead of time. Hmm. So, and you saw me. I've got my script here yeah. for the introduction. So, I don't know if maybe... You might be a little hard on yourself from time to time. Oh, for sure. But I hold myself to a high standard. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't hold myself to a high standard, I think it'd be easy to fall into a rut and say, like, you know, get depressed. Yeah. And become more isolated yeah. and, and that sort of thing. I have to hold myself to a high standard because I have... My kids watching me, mm -hmm. my family watching me. You know, I'm really public about my medical situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've talked to, like, uh, Senator Yoakum and Senator James. And um, I've talked to them about, uh, like, the insurance um, struggles and whatever have you. Um, but... I think that if I didn't have high standards, um, it'd be easy to let myself slip. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to get back to a routine and, mm -hmm. and who you feel you are. Yeah. Thank you. The next one. You had studied and trained as a special education consultant and worked with kids who struggled with communication. How has your perception changed or grown since the seizure and tumor? Well, I told uh, my friend Trisha that, uh, and one of my parents, my previous parents, that uh, I had worked with their kid, um, that I thought I had empathy for kids' situations. Mm -hmm but I really didn't have the empathy level that I perceived. Mm -hmm. um, it's a whole different ball game when you get thrown into this situation. And um, really, you're all alone in your head as our kids. 
And that's a scary place for a lot of people. And I can't imagine um, what kids feel because, you know, people go through life and um, I think have various experiences that shape them. And kids really don't have much experience in life and they don't really know well is this normal you know what are people feeling like do they feel like me and you know do I share this experience um, and uh, as much as people want to think that they know what people are thinking they really don't and I look back all the time and think of kids that were acting out and I can't help but think that um, I truly didn't know what they wanted and I thought that I knew and it was obviously you know armchair quarterback on you know Monday morning <laughs> um, and imagine a kid who is new at English which is a pretty complicated language itself and needs help navigating and has speech, cognitive, physical issues, or trauma to boot, mm -hmm. it's like literally exhausting. I picture it with becoming a mom. Like when I was a teacher prior to being a mom, I felt I was empathetic yeah. to the student's parents. But then when I became a mom, I was a totally different teacher. Yep. And my principal had known me as a teacher when he was an instructional coach and then he became my principal several years later after I'd become a mom and I went to him right away and said I'm a different teacher now mm -hmm. than I'm a mom and I and I said you're gonna see me be more emotional and 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 do this and that and really be able to empathize with parents so I'm not like oh you need to use the devices at home and all these expectations because I know what it takes to get dinner on the table mm -hmm and teeth brushed at night and my kids in bed. So I really have changed my perspective in becoming a mom. So I'm sure that um, that this has played a role in you being able to really empathize with others. Mm -hmm. So we think that we can, but then until you're in those shoes, you really can't. And really, if you're in those shoes, it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. No one's going to have that same experience. Yeah. I've learned that um, from my therapy days, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, from my internships, because, you know, there were similar situations. Like, everybody had struggles with grades at, you know, the college placement that I had. But people always had different issues surrounding you know what made them struggle mm -hmm. was it like a parent fighting cancer back home was it a roommate issue you know was there a professor that was really difficult mm -hmm. for you know um, was there a time management issue you know there's always different sort of sets of circumstances mm -hmm. and you had talked about too I don't know if this is relevant or not. Um, we don't know what the child wants to say. Yeah. You know, I listened to my four-year-old talk, and the other day he said, like, Mom, did they put the neighbor in the trunk? 
what are you talking about? He was asking if a person was in the ambulance riding to the hospital. Um, but I know if my four-year-old son has that thought and wondering about, as we're driving down the highway, what this ambulance is doing, all of our children have mm -hmm. those kinds of thoughts. And how do we anticipate that? And how do our, if we have speech generating devices or textbooks, how are they able to ask those same questions and get their ideas, you know, like, why is that bird outside? You know, like just all those things that little kids wonder. I don't feel right now that our, our devices are maybe enough yet. Um, no. And so I'm really having a hard time with with that because I want our children to be able to express anything they're thinking. I used to have a student that I love dearly and he had a device and every day at snack, it was invariably, um, he always kind of was peckish um, because he really didn't like the thing that we set out and I gave him the device the one day and um, he navigated to tell me that he wanted a cheeseburger <laughs> and then he laughed and laughed Aww. and laughed and he had humor mm -hmm. like I didn't ever think mm -hmm. that it never dawned on me yep. that kids see things in a funny way too mm-hmm even if they're like communication challenged. Yeah. They find a way to tease you too. Yeah. And I'm always like, that shows just how intelligent they yes. are, you know? And then he tried the next day and the next day and the next day. And it's like a little <laughs> joke between you two. <laughs> That's funny. Thank you, Lori, for sharing with us. We will wrap up with part two next week. If you could, subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when new episodes are released and check out Coaching Flores on Facebook and coachingflores.com for downloads. I hope you heard something that inspires you. I'll see you next week.